0: The word data scientist feels like it means so many things to so many different people. It can be very difficult for, for organizations to understand. What I think we're going to see is a democratization of a lot of machine learning or other quote unquote big data tools, which can make them more accessible for people.
1: The world around us is changing faster than ever before, before. from automation, artificial intelligence, Big data, geolocation, to every aspect of how we work and live. This includes data. Welcome Welcome, to Data Guru's podcast. Our mission is to bring you a real life perspective on what's happening in the industry and how successful companies and individuals in this niche navigate through the sea of change. Encouraging you to be bold, be be brave, and be fearless. Let's navigate the data ecosystem together. Welcome Welcome, welcome. to the Data Gurus podcast.
2: Welcome to Data Gurus. This is Seema Vasu, your host. And today I have with me Joe Ketling, who's the head of analytics at Relish Research. Welcome, Joe.
1: Time to welcome
0: this week's Data Guru. Hi there. Great to be on the show.
2: Thank you. So Joe, tell us a little bit about your background and, and what you do at Relish.
0: So I'm a head of head of analytics at uh, Relish Research. We are a company of about 30 people based in the UK. I'm in, I'm in our London office, but we have one in the north of England in Leeds as well. And I am head of analytics. So my background is as a sort of more standard quant researcher, but I've studied mathematics at university. That's always been my, my kind of thing and my passion. So I eventually managed to transition from a more kind of standard quant research track through to a role which enabled me to focus more on advanced statistical techniques as they pertain to market research so there's a kind of standard suite of research techniques uh, such as things like segmentation and, and conjoint and so on but my, my my role encompasses them but also trying to find new creative interesting ways of, of doing things as well.
2: Well I know one of the things that you've been working on which I feel is the wave of the future quite frankly is combining or marrying as you call it. Big data with research data to provide some richer insights. Talk to us a little bit more about your experience there and perspective.
0: First of all, I think it felt like something. You know, I first heard people talk about big data a few years back. You hear these things that when people report back from conferences and so on, and it, it sort of felt for a while like, from a quantitative research perspective, one of the really big natural challenges we we, we have as an industry, which is which is that we have we can obtain through, through research and through quant research, and in, in this instance especially, this whole rich data set of stuff you can't really get any other way. So psychographic data or just attitudes, behaviors, barriers response to new propositions and so on meanwhile companies are collecting vast amounts of other information on their on their customers and prospects and, and it feels like a kind of smart marriage of the two is just an innately kind of desirable thing for for companies to have I mean the framework i tend to tend to use or kind of come up with for thinking about this is that i guess the really really basic option when you do research is what you might call narration which is where you conduct a bit of research but you all you really are doing it is just using it is to just kind of tell a story that kind of that's kind of fair enough the next approach might be something called augmentation which is where let's say you you sample your client's own customers and they can append various bits of data points to the sample that you get and from that you can then cut your data by their data so so let's say they've they've already got a segmentation you can go okay your first segment are like this and your second segment are like this and so you're, you're kind of joining the two and that feels feels quite often where a lot of clients or other or clients or other research agencies sort of that feels like their limit or where they kind of sort of fall off but what's harder to perhaps explain to people is the approach that I would think of as being called fusion you do the augmentation bits you you have all these client fields and you have the research that you've conducted as well and you join the two data sets together but you come up with insights that result of a genuine marriage of the two so it might be you know what we've identified that a whole new segment on your database which is defined by stuff on your database but is driven by the research findings for example we we find that you have internal data that predicts the research data really well. And that's when I think you end up with research research and big data, if you like, that kind of become more than the sum of their part, that you get to insight that you, you really couldn't have done in silos and in, or in, in isolation from just one data source or the other, if that makes sense.
2: No, it definitely does. Because I think typically, like in the augmentation framework or phase, it feels like the customer data is more of a profiling point for the research data. And I think what I'm understanding you say is that you treat all the data the same to be able to then draw genuine insights from the combined or the fused data set.
0: That's right. Well, you can treat it all as the same or you can say, okay, because the challenge that the client has is, you know, what, what are insights that I can easily apply on back or learn about my entire data set, not just my entire customer base, not just the people that we sampled. So you can almost say what are the things we are most interested in learning from the research data and then what best predicts that from from the client data so you're almost looking at one as an output and one as a potential input i, I think it's it's something that it's kind of funny because i i feel that if you were talking to somebody who had a huge amount of experience and background in statistics, maybe from another field, they would consider this kind of like quite an obvious thing to do or a natural thing to do. But it's interesting to me, like how few clients necessarily almost want you to do that. Like The clients might say, okay, well, we have an internal data team and we've done a segmentation. but We never did any research. We just kind of clustered our customers according to this algorithm. And then we did some proposition testing in research and we kind of joined the two together sort of, but but this idea of, of coming up with something where both, where both feed and, and both are integral into the processes is something that I, I feel like not a lot of people seem to be kind of thinking or talking about it in, in that kind of way.
2: Is it just a shift in thinking or is there genuinely some sort of barrier or not barrier but what, what do you think the, the rationale is or the reason why people have not fully embraced kind of this way of looking at data?
0: Um, I've never worked client side so it's kind of really hard for me to talk about the not speculatively but you know I'm only speaking from the experience experience of of what clients have said to me rather than kind of in the thick of it. But a lot of it does seem to feel like it's a function of uh, structure in client teams that I think it, it feels like a lot of clients have historically had an insight function and then a kind of data number crunching function. And the two are perhaps more likely to be paired or related than they were than they were a while back. But nevertheless, to commission a piece of research, whether whether they did it with an agency like us or they did it, you know, with their own internal researchers, to commission a piece of research like that kind of requires you to have that a to to understand conceptually what it can get you and b to have someone with the authority to draw those teams together. Um, because I think quite often maybe a data person in a client's data team, whether they be a, called a data scientist or whatever term you might want to use for them, is not necessarily typically particularly kind of insight or research friendly. And they might not really understand or trust where that, what that can get them. Similarly, I think your standard market researcher, even your standard quant market researcher, is not particularly going to not be particularly knowledgeable about the actual data a client has in its customers. Um, it feels like for, for organizations that have plenty of data and that have this stuff and 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 you know have the kind of data sets to to that can enable you to do that. It just it just feels like the right approach from my perspective.
2: That does make sense. I mean, there, we do say that we are all there. We have so much access to data, so it's worth kind of integrating it and being able to provide real business value back to clients and organizations. I'm curious, from your perspective, can you share or Give us little tidbits of an actual project or case study you've done to kind of bring this to light.
0: So we worked with Sky a while back. So Sky you know, massive telco, TV, etc. company. And, and this is still this is in the public domain, obviously, what I'm saying to you now. But they had a, a referral scheme, which was, it was very reward-based. So maybe you refer me, we both get £100, 100 pounds, £150 pounds, or the equivalent amount in dollars. What had happened there was uptake was relatively low. But furthermore, referrers tended to fit a, quite a narrow profile. You tend, they tended to just get the same sort of people. So Sky, Sky's hypothesis was if you were to come up and do a completely different, a completely different type of incentive, then perhaps you could not only drive uptake, but you could have access to a whole a whole new headroom of of customer referrals effectively. So what we did was first of all we ran a qualitative workshop all about potential proposition generation if you like. So what different emotional territories could we put these propositions into? We then shortlisted them and we then created and we then put put these into quantitative research. But we fielded it among Sky's customers, so we had access to all of their key data fields that they wish to share with us. And from that we. First of all, we could test the propositions, but we could also say, here are some variables from within your data set that are really good predictors of a, which proposition you like best, and B, other crucial pieces of information that the really key one in this instance being how many people can you actually refer Sky to, as in people who might want it but who don't already have it. And from that, we generated just four segments. The actual solution wasn't all that complicated to look at, but it was it was quite a powerful thing. The point is that the solution was solely defined on information Sky already had about its customers. It was solely defined on Sky's own database fields. We just chose those database fields very closely driven by the research. And from that, we had these four segments. One we said, completely ignore them because they're just never going to do it. Carry on doing what you're doing. The problem with these these customers that they've actually not heard of this scheme before, so you just need to kind of push it a bit further. But then we had a, a couple of other segments who we said, actually, you need a kind of a whole new. The offer can be the same, but the whole way it's positioned has to be completely different. It has to be less transactional and have more kind of emotional content, you know, helping out your friends and so on. And it, among those two, we saw a 25% or so increase in in response to comms. So it did work effectively among the people who we said do stuff differently with these customers. The results were there. So. I mean, that's a kind of whistle-stop tour through what was obviously quite a complex. But hopefully, hopefully that makes sense.
2: It does. It reminds me a little bit of how people score leads in terms of what their value is and sales potential. And here, instead of looking at, I mean, it is somewhat of a sales predictor, but this is a different predictor. It feels like a blend of kind of those two practices together, which can be, and so I would imagine when they have a new customer coming in, they can look at the profile of that customer in some way and predict how they might react or how many referrals they might bring in
0: I think yeah that, I mean that that's something they could refer back to our work and, and hopefully get a sense of I mean I think what makes it what makes it quite powerful is that furthermore they already had propensity model for referrals but of course if that's only based on a certain type of proposition this very transactional proposition then you can argue that it's no it's not going to be completely inaccurate but it's perhaps not going to be so relevant for a proposition positioned in a different way so it it allows you it allows you to get to stuff which which your own data doesn't do and and I'm sure there are analogous processes i mean i've seen examples of them done where you, yeah where you're scoring leads in in kind of way but you're joining the two
2: so tell me what's your take on the future? I know you mentioned to me in the off the show that kind of your advanced statistical or machine learning techniques are going to be much more relevant in the future. How does that fit with kind of the data scientist role versus the market research or analytical role? How do you see those worlds coexist or integrate? Where do you think that will end up, or where do you see it going
0: so first of all, I think that the word data scientist is and it's almost up there with big data as a term that it feels like it means so many things to so many different people that it, it, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't call it like a wild west. It can be very difficult for, for organizations to understand exactly what a person with data scientist on their CV or their resume or their LinkedIn profile actually, what that actually means in practice. What I think we're going to see is a democratization of a lot of machine learning or other quote unquote big data tools, which can make them more accessible for people with deep domain expertise outside of, you know, data science specifics and enough training, education, background to be able to apply them effectively. So I think what, you know, I mean, we work with Q software here. We think it's really good software for, first of all, the basics of quant market research, you know, the the tabulation and the analysis and so on. But it also now has every kind of, can plug in any kind of R package to that so for example we quite recently did a structural equation model for one of our one of our big clients just in q via an r package which we got entirely for free you have to have the statistical understanding and knowledge to be able to do that you have to be able to to know what it is and how to do it and how, how accurate it is and so on but it it feels like it feels like that's the way the two worlds meet That feels like a slightly different point from everybody is going to become a data scientist or you should all be hiring data scientists. Do you know what I mean?
2: Yes, I do. I Uh, actually think that there's complementary skills there in terms of the technical expertise, which I think maybe some folks in the research area might not necessarily be so strong in, to the more of, contextualizing the data and understanding, you know, the ins and outs of trying to interpret a lot of this information. So I agree with you. I don't think everybody's going to become a data scientist, but I do believe that there's probably partnerships or both kind of quote unquote roles will learn a little bit more about the other to create a stronger delivery model, analytical framework, ultimately drive better insights for clients.
0: I think so and hope so. Well, first of all, it goes back to the question of team structure because in the end if you think about a set of research data as opposed to a set of data that might that a client might generate it tends to it's much more structured it's going to have far fewer gaps in it because it's because it's effectively collected bespoke but to get there you need a whole bunch of skills around primarily survey design, kind of deep understanding of the client's business, and you need the client relations stuff, and you need to be able to stand up in front of clients and present and so on and so forth. Often quite much smaller data sets than, say, you know, some company with Five million customers, or whatever it might be. So it just requires a slightly different set of skills. It's at what point that the, the more standard quant researcher and the data scientist, if indeed they are different people, exactly where? What team does the data scientist sit, and to what extent are they helping and supporting one another? From a, an agency side, I think it's 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 a question of first of all, how how big and how specialised do you really want your team to be? And and from a client side, perhaps it is more of a more of a broader. Structural question: Like, where where do where do these people sit?
2: That makes perfect sense. And, and it's funny because when you think about research and data, you never really think about organizational models, right? And kind of aligning the proper teams together to be able to create or, or keep up with some of the changes that are happening in the marketplace. But that's an excellent point that you make. Oh, thank um, you. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> Joe, I'm curious, from your perspective, are you seeing other types of data that can be married to survey data that, are, that does not necessarily reside within the client? organization passive data potentially or other third party data
0: i mean we basically get data we basically get data from respondents and the respondents come from two different places they come from clients which i think we've already covered it and they come from panels of people who have signed up to have surveys sent to them and it's been a bit of a frustration of mine for the past few years not because i think any one panel is like really bad i'm sure there are loads of obstacles which in practice panels come up against but it feels like we're still trapped in this crazy world where the first five minutes of any survey anybody does is like are you, you know, male, female, other? How old are you, and so on and so forth. And it, in, in, and it feels like, as a minimum, you should be getting that. You should be able to have that as standard. So any kind of, you know, you should you should be able to have that as standard, and then you can apply a similar sort of set of principles. First of all, if you have it as standard. You can make surveys shorter and more more pertinent. You can then go, okay, well, we clustered people on this piece of information. So actually, you know, younger females do this, and so and so. And and I, I see no. Re- I think, as a minimum, those kind of core demographic information. It would be great to see from panels. I think that things like passive tracking we're certainly exploring it more and more with just at the moment doing piece for an energy company around what what people are searching for i think that that definitely feels like part of the future whether you will will be able to do quantitative research with sample at an affordable scale to incorporate passive passive stuff and that kind of information i think remains to be seen it's one thing i think passively monitoring say 20 or 50 people for a while but are you really going to do that for a thousand people and then if you get everybody's weird and wonderful to say the least search history uh, over the past like two two weeks that presents challenges not merely that there's just a lot of stuff there but it that's where actually somebody with better data science chops might be more because I think researchers are great at going we designed this survey to make mm-hmm. it really user-friendly and flow really nicely and so on and so forth but and everything's on these kind of five point important scales or satisfaction scales or whatever it is but actually how do you then code all this kind of crazy different the information that comes in very different formats from that so, so th- that's the sort of thing that might more naturally lend itself to a kind of data scientist with more of a more specialist techniques that Solving those kind of problems, perhaps partnering with a more standard quantum researcher.
2: That makes perfect sense. I know that we've done a couple of experiments with passive data, and it's so cool. Like, oh my gosh, we're going to get all this information. And then you get the data, and you're like, oh my goodness, this is... And we just did it for like two weeks for a small sample. It is incredible data, you really need a plan and a structure to figure out how you're going to analyze it and pull it together. And ultimately, we did have to work with somebody with more technical skills to be able to summarize it and pull it together. But I do I do agree. It definitely plays a part it's somewhere in this ecosystem. Just not quite sure where, where it is yet.
0: I think there's two points there. I think first of all, the, the, main, the main point when you get all this data is you have to, you have to come there with a serious set of questions uh, yeah, rather than somebody going, here's, here's all this data, find some insights from it. You could find a zillion things in this. And defining the question is like a must. I think the second point is that it feels like I'm not sure it's scalable either for first of all, kind of feasibility reasons around that simply the number of people who are willing to consent to that sort of thing, fairly understandably, or just, and you know, how expensive, how expensive it is to do on an individual level to make it kind of really quant scalable. And second of all, the, the point that you made, like, do you actually have the kind of data processing skills or data analysis skills to, to get something useful from it? Because you get these extraordinary, if you can get these kind of extraordinary individual journeys and stories people have done, but, but analysing it quantitatively is, is really hard
2: completely agree well joe i thank you so much for taking the time to share your perspective on a little bit of your world and marrying some survey data with big data and we definitely would love to have you back on the show in the future that'd
0: be great
2: okay thank you so much
0: thanks so much cheers cheers thank
1: you for tuning in to data gurus podcast this episode has ended but your exploration doesn't have to